Hi, this is Jason, lead pastor at Casper Alliance Church. Thanks for stopping by our weekly teaching podcast. This is week six of looking at the story of Ruth. Hope you've enjoyed this teaching time. We're looking at Ruth chapter three this week. If you'd like to know more about Casper Alliance Church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com. You can go to your app or Google Play Store and download our app. Just search for Casper Alliance Church. Look for the double C's and download, and you'll be connected to us right away. Hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening. Hey, we're in this we're in this uh, teaching series on Ruth. So everybody turn to Ruth in the Bible. Um, we're in Ruth chapter 3 today. We're going to finish off this, this uh, sultry part of the story. I introduced it last week. It was getting risque. And we're going to finish that off. And, uh, and we, uh, it'll be really awesome. But I, as we were singing a song, I, again, I, I'm going to react to one of the songs. When I, growing up, there are certain songs in the church that I grew up in to where when, when it went or when, some, when that song was sung, the church went. Boom! And came alive. And the Old Rugged Cross was one of those songs I grew up where like, the whole church is like, we're coming together and we're singing it. The other one for me that has always been the case is And Can It Be. When And Can It Be, that hymn was sung in the church, like, it's like everybody from, from 8 years old to 80 years old had that hymn memorized. And so there, there's like this thing that happens when, when, when the church just comes alive with song and you cling to the song. And the Old Rugged Cross is one of those songs that we kind of just cling to all of us. And I, it, it, it has, some of it's because of the way it's sung. The other part is, there is this beauty that uh, when we're singing it, that we are, um, we really are like clinging to the cross of Christ. We're clinging to this hope that we get to live out this, that we're living this terrestrial plane and eventually going to experience glory in heaven. We're going to be saved finally. And in this, this progression of life, uh, as weary as it gets at times, uh, the clinging to the cross that gives us hope that the, this thing that is inspiring us to take that next step is, is just the, ch- the church yells with joy when we sing that. And, I, and I, it, some of it is tradition, but a lot of it has to do with that we know the hope that's, that's built in that cross. And how much hope we can have because we will exchange this someday for presence with the Lord. And that's exciting. That's something to be excited about. The, um, this morning, the songs uh, pointed us to, to salvation in Christ, to protection. And, and redemption, we think of redemption in many ways, in which is true. Redemption is us being saved or our sins being forgiven, which is, is true. But in a lot of ways, redemption and at its core in Scripture uh, has a lot to do with protection and, and, and covering and, and making, making the person, the object of love, safe and, and, and coming. So even like the song we sang about, about uh, leaving the 99 and going after the one, that, that's about protection and, and saving. Sure, it's rede- redeeming the soul, but there's this, there's this, uh, there's this action that God has on, on creation to where He's pursuing the people and His people and all people in a way to protect them, to bring them into the family, to put them into part of, a part of this <laughs> safety zone. And so when we sing about leaving the 99, it's not just a cute, fun song. It's this action that God has towards the people through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
to pursue and to protect and to ultimately bring into the family through salvation in him and him alone. In this story, the story of Ruth, we get into this kind of one of the final pieces of protection. Now last week I talked a lot about, about uh, Naomi setting the plan and, and giving Ruth, like here's what we're going to do, here's how you're going to present yourself, here's the way it's going to work out, here's all the things that you're going to do. You are going to present yourself before Boaz, you're going to do it in this sequence, in this time, and I, I talked about taking a bath, and I, all these different things, and, and about and being kind of a, a seductress, Ruth was supposed to be, and then now we're going to finish that part of it and experience, again, Boaz doing the right thing at the right time because he's God's man. And that's an exciting part of the story of Ruth is being able to honor a man in a, in a, an emasculated society who does the right thing at the right time. God's men do the right thing at the right time. I have a story one time that, that lives in lore in my household. My kids have, they were really little when this happened, so they think, they think I'm a superman. I still think they think this way, even though they're older, smellier, and a little weirder, bad hair, one of them specifically. Caleb, if you're listening, actually I know you're not. You have bad hair. We were walking through a Walmart parking lot. They were little. And this car started to back out. And I'm talking like, I'm talking like our, you know, like the average size of our church, like this high. And, and we, were, we were walking, and, and um, the car started to back out. And I was um, kind of like a little bit behind, uh, behind Caleb, but he was kind of running ahead of me a little bit. You know, that's what little kids do in parking lots before they really know. And I punched this car in Caleb's mind. And he thinks, I think still to this day, that I punched this car and stopped it. But what I really did is I just went bam on the back of the car, and the, and the car, you know, car stopped because it was going to run over my kid. But he, for years, and I, I hope he still believes this, he thinks I punched this car dead and it stopped to where the power of dad absolutely made this car that was going 70 miles an hour in a parking lot come to a complete stop. And, and I was just like, boom! And then we're like, did you see that, Caleb? And he's like, man, you punched that car! And I'm like, you know, in his like four-year-old voice, I was like, yeah, I did, I saved your life! And it, we've, we've lived that way for the rest of... I, ask him about it. Ask him about the time his dad punched the car. He'll, he'll know and remember it. I saved his life. It was probably 20 feet from getting hit. But for, in his mind, it was like... In my mind, it was like that close, too. But that's what you... I was spraying into protective action. Every dad has that story where they like... They, they leapt into, mine was very weak, but I did it. I leapt to protective action. For a long time, I held a bat underneath our bed. Because we're in Michigan, you're not allowed to have other things underneath your bed, only bats. And so I had a bat under my bed, and there would be a noise in the house. Little did I know houses make noise. I was young. All houses make noise. And I would jump out of bed all the time and run down the stairs with this bat ready to hit something. And there was never anything. Little did I know that if there would have been something coming into our house at like 2 in the morning, they're going to do more harm than I'm going to do with my bat because that's aggressive to come into somebody's house at 2 in the morning with intention. But I had a bat because I was always protective. So much so that I became so protective that I was actually a nuisance most of the time. And I wouldn't let people do certain things around my kid. I still don't. Like sometimes I'll talk about it. Like for example, in this church, 
Our son, you know this, has a peanut allergy. Um, I bought all of the peanut butter stuff in the snack stand for the, for the kids and threw it all away. I just bought it. I, was like, I didn't want to have any conversation about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I just bought it and I threw it all away because I'm protective. Well, you, if you put that in, everybody has a little bit of that over their little ones. Everybody has a little bit of that. Even maybe some, some of, as you get close to your neighbors or even you have that sort of protective behavior. When we get into the story, I'm going to read it right now. You see that Boaz, he, he shifts from, from just business owner, landowner, provider to that like kind of dad mode, husband mode. I got a bat under my bed mode. I'm going to punch the car through the parking lot mode. I'm going to buy all the Reese's peanut butter cups and throw them all away mode to take care of this beautiful room. So let's read the story. I'm going to actually pick up at verse, um, verse 5, which I read last week where Ruth is responding to Naomi and the plan. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So he went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. I'll get back into all of this here in a little bit. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows You are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family's redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until the morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Now, last week I talked a little bit about this. This this uh, This is a risque story. The language in it, the Hebrew, the syntax of it all, it is very much written in a way for the reader of the ancient times to go, whoa, what's going on here? There's a little stuff, there's something going on here. This, let's see how this unfolds. And it's designed in real literature in a way to bring the, the reader along in the story in a way that, that unfolds before the reader as, as somebody who would just read a novel today. 
to be excited about what happens next, to be into the story so much that when the big reveal goes down, you're like, wow. And this story was, this was no different than that. That's how it's written. It's written very much to, to alert the reader to go, this is scandalous. And so what happens here in this part, we got the setup, and I said it last week, the setup was very much, uh, Naomi went into action, she stepped into action, she'd been provided for, Boaz had stepped up in her life, she had made the connection that it's family, and so now she, she springs into action because she went into mother mode, and she said, it's time for you to have somebody who can care for you after I'm gone. You need to get married, and Boaz is the one. Let's put you in connection, and she divides this plan to go to him at the threshing floor, to go to him with her during harvest, during a festival, and, the, and, and to present herself in this very specific way as to submit before him, as to offer herself as a way to really say, will you marry me? Will you take care of me? Uh, and so that's what, when we pick it up, that's where we're at. And this is so fantastic. Boaz, it says, Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits. A lot of interpreters say that he was drunk. He was not. I'll draw a line in the sand. He wasn't. It doesn't match the character of how Boaz has been established up to this point. Boaz has been described as a righteous man. Boaz has been shown as the person who does the right thing at the right time. Boaz has been presented as a, as a man of character, of good standing, of reputation. And so the writer is, is definitely seeding it out there to make the reader go, huh, maybe this Ruth is going to take advantage of the Boaz, and we're going to have a scandal situation. And, and even goes as far to say he was in good spirits. What this really, I think, in my opinion, and probably... 60% of scholars, is that he was just chill. He was feeling good. He was kind of like after a nice, healthy Thanksgiving meal that didn't include a lot of wine. Like a lot of turkey, a lot of stuffing, a lot of green bean casserole, and a lot of like, I'm exhausted because I've eaten so much, it's time to take a nap. That's the vibe going on right now. And it's towards the end, and they had worked all day on the thrusting floor. And they were celebrating. There was a celebratory behavior going on here. But to, for, the, for us to say that Boaz was drunk and Ruth was taking advantage, that's what the initial reader was supposed to be thinking. That's enticing them into the story. That's bringing them into the action. And say, check this out. This guy, he's a little, he's a little off his rocker, and is he going to make this mistake and, and fornicate with this widow? But the story unpacks for us in really a fun, exciting way. For, for the reader and for the follower of God who's having a tough time like putting these two things together, saying, how does this work? How does God operate in this environment? Ruth came quietly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up. Now, in Scripture, if you were to do a, a word study, on, I'm giving you more content than I normally do. I'm sorry for that. I usually just yell at you. I'm giving you a little more content. Midnight through Scripture, if you, if you find at times where midnight happens, if you were to do a word study, God acts at midnight a lot, or there's a, there's a change in the environment, or there's a behold moment that happens when midnight is referenced in Scripture, all through Old Testament and New Te Testament, at midnight. So there's like this change in, in, in situation. There's action in Scripture that happens at midnight, and it happens all over the Scriptures. So the writer here again says, at midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over, and he was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am the servant Ruth. Spread the corner of the covering over me, so you're my family redeemer. Turn back to Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. 
real quick. This is kind of like the key verse in all of Ruth. Ruth 2.12 says this, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Who's saying that? Who's saying that? Are you reading? Boaz said it. Boaz said it. Now, in this part of the story, chapter 3 of the story, Ruth is using the same language, the same wording, the same concept to put into to Boaz's lap. Boaz has already said this to her. said about covering and being a protector and a provider and a redeemer. And so now Ruth is putting it in, in his corner, saying, spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Give me protection in a very practical sense, it's cold here. Could you cover me up? Could you provide for me? Now check this out. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. You have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. So Boaz has some age. He has some gray in his beard. Ruth could have went after other people. She was not taken at this point. Boaz recognizes that. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. So this scandalous situation, Ruth presents herself to Boaz. Now she asks Boaz to cover her, protect her, and Boaz responds, everyone in town, everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. And as a result, I'm going to do the right thing at the right time, and I'm not going to ruin your reputation. I'm not going to mess this up for you, because all of the people know about you. Everybody knows you're a virtuous woman. Everybody knows your character. And by me and you consummating this relationship right here, right now, that would take the scandal to another level. Now remember at the beginning of the story when Naomi and, and uh, Ruth showed up at town. The town was astir. Everyone knew who they were. They knew why they were there. Everybody knew them. And remember this Ruth, she wasn't just, she wasn't just a widow. She was a Moabite. She was hated. So not only did everybody know her, she was also part of the people that was not well-liked amongst the Hebrews. Boaz, stepping up, doing the right thing at the right time, takes virtue, takes, takes the right path, and I think takes the sanctimony of marriage to the next level right here. And says, we're not going to do this right here, right now. That's my opinion. I think Ruth offered herself, and I think Boaz said no. We can argue about that after church. I know that we had a fun conversation last week. So I do not think that anything happened other than just happy thoughts and let's make gummy bears. I don't, I don't know. What do people do when they're on the threshing floor in the middle of the night and one's clothed and one's not? I, I mean, I don't know. I've never been in that situation. And if I were, I wouldn't talk about it. But the key is, is Boaz steps up again. Right thing, right time. Because of who Ruth is. You are a virtuous woman. Think about this. This is a person that says, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Your land will be my land. Your family will be my family. I will go where you go. Even though I'm hated, even though it's not safe, 
even though I'm leaving everything I, I love and have had, I'm, lo- I'm losing my life to follow you, Naomi. And I'm stepping in to Bethlehem. I'm going to be uh, an outsider. And now she has found favor all the way through to the point to where even her presence is known by Boaz as a virtuous woman. He's not going to defile or ruin that. So much so that what does he do? They make a plan. I mean, she could have left right then, but she's like, just sleep. We'll figure it out in the morning. Go to bed. And in the morning, she pro- he provides again for the family. He scoops a bunch of barley into the cloak. She takes it home to give to Naomi. They go, wow. Wow. This man totally cares for us, loves us. He wants to redeem us. But there's this catch in the story. Boaz knows. So there's somebody that's closer to you than me. And we have to satisfy that first. Again, Boaz, the hero. Catch this. I've said it 5,000 times over the last five weeks. Right thing at the right time, making the right decision. That's a man of God. So men in the room, that's your job. To do the right thing at the right time. Without question. Without even considering the cost effect of it. You need to do the right thing at the right time. That's what God's men do. They step up. And they do the right thing. So this could have been easy. They could have shoved it under the rug. Boaz could have had his night of of sordid fun with Ruth. But he said, no, you're a virtuous woman. And no, there's somebody else that's closer to you. Then let's satisfy that first. Let's do it the right way. Let's do it the right way so that we will honor God in the process. Think about if the men of God made decisions like that day after day after day. In every way in which they make decisions. Whether it's what they do at work during the day. What they look at on their phone or on the internet. What they, how they talk to their kids or their wives. What if men made decisions like this? The right thing at the right time. Without any sort of cause or effect going through their brain. What would the world look like? It would absolutely be transformed. Because these are gospel-empowered, God-fearing men who absolutely want to do good things by His name and His name alone. Boaz had wealth. Boaz could have any woman he wanted. Boaz had stuff. He didn't have problem. And he actually invited this potential problem into his world because it was the right thing at the right time. That's what God calls men to do. And us men need to step out and step up to it. And do it. Right time, right thing, all the time. And stop thinking about the consequences of it. That means sometimes you have to take your kid to the bathroom and give them a whooping. Archie? I'm just wondering. <laughs> he gave me the stink eye like that. Is this me? Are you talking about me? How many, how many of you adults got a spanking in the bathroom at church? That's right. And the ones who didn't, you deserved it. I'm not going to tell your story. Sorry. If, if you ever want to know a, ba- a spanking story about church, you ask Adrienne. She's got a great one for you. I won't embarrass her, but she's got a fantastic story. It's better than anything I've ever shared in my entire life. It's so good. I think as, as we look at into Boaz, 
and think about how he operated. Boaz gives us, many people think that, the, that uh, Proverbs, what, Proverbs 31, is that the right one? Is written about Ruth, the virtuous woman proverb, which is possible that it is. I'm cool if it is. The redemptive story of God's people, I think we can capture through the actions of, of the characters in this story. So when God gets a hold of the heart, when he grabs the person and the soul, and you begin to cling to the old rugged cross, and you understand how, how you've been redeemed and saved, you begin, I, I believe, I believe that we're supposed to, you begin to live out what that looks like on earth. And what it looks like is, is this story of Boaz again doing the right thing at the right time. This impossible situation that started in the first part of the story with Naomi and Ruth the writers setting it up, losing all the men in their lives. Marginalized women in a, in a society that tends to abuse women are on the verge of full redemption, life, protection, and freedom with this one choice by a man. But he did hit metal metal chair on the back of the head. <laughs> I do think that there's moments in all of our lives where, where we're on this verge of experiencing what God is doing in our life. And we deviate. We slip back into old patterns. We trip. We fall. We're bumped off course. We possess little hope. We take our eyes off of Jesus. We settle back into old behaviors, old patterns, old decision making. We begin to make decisions at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. The story of, of God's redemption in our life comes on his action, his intervention, his movement. The experience of redemption comes through the action of his redeemed people. See, when we talk about redeemed in the church and being redeemed, God did the work. He, did, he, he moved on your behalf. He left the 99 and went after you. He sent His Son Jesus to die a sinner's death to pay the price for you and your sin and raised Him to life victorious, covering that sin, saying no longer will sin have a hold on this earth. You believe and put faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's the, the beginning of redemption. But to really truly experience the story of redemption, it requires the activity and life of its redeemed people. Other than that, it's just something that you've heard of or known. 
about, you, you think about, or you sing about it a little bit on Sunday morning. But what God is asking His people to do is act out that story in their activities and their actions and their behaviors and their decision-making and how they live. Because that's carrying the story of redemption to the world. Which we are the primary vehicle by which the world comes to know Christ. The church. We are His bride. We are the ones who come and lay ourselves at the threshing floor and say, cover me, protect me, put your protection and your redemption over me, invite me into your family. Care for me. That's the church. That's the church. And we get to live that out each day. That's our job. So when we talk about redemption, and this is it, this, I'm going to land here. We can't talk about redemption without our action involved. Because it's, there's no story there. The story is carried out by its people who have been redeemed. Do you hear that? The story of God is carried out by His people who have been redeemed. All through the story of Ruth, repetitively we see God's people go into action to move the story along. So the question I have for you is in your story, are you telling God's story? Or are you telling your own story? Because there's a big difference. I would challenge you all to begin to tell God's story as you experience His redemption in your life. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your word. Lord, teach us continually to be hungry and, and to thirst for righteousness. Lord, to have your story played out in our life as we follow you. Lord, help us as a church family to be the church you're calling us to be, to, to be your bride that shares the story of your son Jesus through our lives and through our words through our care for one another, through our care for the people outside of this building. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this day. In Christ's name, amen.